0: Hi, everybody, I'm Seth Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Tracy Ezzard. Tracy is a leadership and culture expert with decades of experience. When it comes to identifying the drivers for success, Tracy knows just how important culture and purpose are to the conversation. If you're looking to develop more empathy as a leader and discover how to cultivate a cu- culture of curiosity, well, Tracy has some great advice. She shares the three pillars of learning culture and explains why we all need to get beyond a culture of nice to one that challenges us instead. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: You are welcome, Sess. It's an absolute privilege to be here with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Such charming words. (laughs) Um, Now I'd like
0: to dive into the whole people, culture and leadership space with you and I think obviously the pandemic has had quite an influence I think in the last few years in terms of the way people are approaching culture and leadership in their businesses and with their teams. What would you say the biggest changes you've been
1: seeing are Uh, I think there's just been just a real realisation from many organisations how important people's ability to thrive in the workplace is. So whether we're working from home or whether we're in the, the workplace, that our connection actually makes us work better. So I worked with a lot of organisations through the pandemic time. Who were, who were really focused on if people are going to be able to get through this, we need to give them the support that they need. And, and I've also experienced um, uh, stories from people where in actual fact the organisation didn't give any leeway whatsoever uh, in terms of what people were going through, expectation of the same sort of measurements. You know, I, I heard of one organisation that work with people who are... Uh, in a in a in a more vulnerable space and the expectation of their people is that they would still hit the same sort of outcomes and measurements that they already had and so they for some some organizations I think there was a real lack of understanding of the depth of people trying to survive through that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you sort of had both ends of the spectrum, people that and organisations that were really focused on supporting and making sure that their people were um, able to do the best they could do in really challenging times and other ones where the relationship stuff just wasn't worked on at all.
0: Yeah, and I think so many people picked up a lot of extra jobs in a way, like picked up a lot of slack because... Um, Teams had been cut in size and stuff as well and there was a lot of um, scrambling going on to make sure everything got covered and sometimes perhaps that wasn't acknowledged as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let alone the fact that you had, you know, kids crawling all over you or, or, you know, for, for people that were trying to support... Work, um, learning from home and and all those sort of things that were going on as well people feeling isolated because they hadn't been able to get out so you've got you've got the work side on one side and then you've got the how do I juggle my personal life and my my work stuff on top of each other at the same time and you know if, if empathy around that is missing um, if if empathy around the challenges that people are going through is missing it makes it really hard for people to get um, Feel like they're they're able to bring their best self to work because they don't feel like they've got that support. Mm.
0: But uh, do you think, fortunately, on the whole, um, those empathy skills were were sharpened up during COVID, and people did become more empathetic than they might have previously been?
1: Yes, because I think people experienced more. Uh, extremities for themselves you know we were all in it together everyone was was feeling the pinch you know and um, and we know that some people carried that more people who had more responsibilities in the home front and that sort of thing then had to juggle a lot more as well Um, often women uh, but not always Um, but but the, the 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 real sorry the the sense for everyone that things had changed has to make our empathy levels go up because all of a sudden we can see that people are in the same boat as us, which is a pity that it actually has to happen um, mm. to to do that. But I do think some people just got more of an insight into how hard and how challenging um, some people's work uh, is and their context. Mm.
0: And now that kind of um, we're moving into this space of kind of COVID normal how important is it for our business leaders to
1: continue to maintain that empathy? Mm-hmm. I, I just think it it's so important. I have worked with teams that are just in misery. You know, they just <laughs> they're they feel totally misunderstood by their leaders. In fact, they don't feel seen and valued by their leaders. Uh, and so this 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 realization this realization for many people around the human side of leadership actually being critical to retaining people, to bringing out their best. You know, it's what great cultures have done for a long, long time. You know, high performing cultures do have a really strong sense of psychological safety where I feel like I belong. I feel like I can learn and contribute and uh, I really matter. And that helps me to step into being more creative, being more innovative, but it also helps me to just do my job better with less um, stuff-ups because my brain isn't as scrambled. When people have a lack of that, when they have a lack of empathy from their leaders, when they feel disconnected from their teams and from the people that lead them, then uh, we're not working at our best because our brains are actually not fully functionally turned on uh, to be able to do the really complex work we need to do. So it's, it's you know, when people sort of say this is the soft stuff of leadership, it's absolutely not. It's the, it's the work that connects us together as human beings, so it's it's majorly human work, but it's also about getting us to think better, collaborate better, problem solve better, decision make better. And empathy is just a key piece of that because I see um, and understand you more and we can have a deeper, more trusting relationship to be able to do the hard work.
0: So how can we uh, work on those kind of psychological skills that we need to make sure... Um, not just ourselves, but our teams are are working at their best.
1: Mm. well it's it is a it is a complex um, environment that we all work in. and so context really matters um, around what is it that you already have in place. So one of the things we know around psychological safety is that the first place we want to actually move to is do people feel like they belong? You know, do people feel like their humanness is honored? Uh, and and that they don't have to fight to actually feel like they belong in our team or in our organization. And so it can be really easy just to actually get to know people. You know, um, again, on the, on the flip side, I've worked with organizations where people are in really quite big teams. But they don't know each other because they don't actually have any conversations with each other unless it's very didactic and very tactical or transactional. So sitting down and actually connecting and getting to know people, understanding strengths, understanding what it is that is the unique thing that everyone brings to the table. It creates this connection that allows people to feel like they can bring their best, they can bring their insights, they can bring their skills to the table. And psychological safety is in in a nutshell around feeling safe to take risk, interpersonal risk, and speak and have a voice. And often in our environment, what goes on for us is that we have people that feel like they're not safe to contribute. That if they they do contribute, they might be shamed, they might be embarrassed, they might be belittled, they might say the wrong thing, and people then sideline them. There's all this stuff that goes on in our he- heads when there is a perceived lack of psychological safety. Um, and if we don't, if we don't move on that, we end up having all this great wisdom actually never been spoken about. We have challenges that people are facing never being spoken about. We have. Um, complex problems that could be solved if everyone's voice came together to co-create a solution. But instead, what we often do is we just listen to the louder few who may have some good ideas, but I bet they're not as good as the ideas that could have been created if everyone had a voice. And that's really what the essence of psychological safety is, a really positive challenge culture where we can have really good, robust debate and people feel safe to do it. And they feel that there's not that social friction that goes on. You know, Timothy R. Clarke does some great work around psychological safety and his terminology around it is it's an environment of rewarded vulnerability. And for many people that I work with, their vulnerability is actually willing to take a risk and move out of their comfort zone and do something or say something that they've never said before or they've been afraid to. Um, and when we get up to the high levels of psychological safety, Uh, which is the challenge culture, positive challenge culture. And I feel safe to challenge the status quo. He talks about that, you know, we can increase intellectual friction, because we've got decreased social friction. And I think that's just a great way to look at it, because we've got the connection, we've got the trust, we've got the empathy.
0: That doesn't necessarily mean everyone has to, you know, be nice all the time, or everyone's spilling their deepest darkest secrets does it
1: no that's it and that's where people really can go down the wrong garden path with this can't they 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 assume that we've got to lay everything out on the table and (laughs) um all the you know the 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 skeletons in the closet it's not at all about that it's it's am I willing to just say to someone how you going today am I willing to instead of speaking first if I usually speak first my vulnerability might be actually being quiet, shutting up and actually letting other people speak first. Mm-hmm. Um, if I always let other people say things for me, having the courage to actually step up and say them for myself, um, not agreeing with my mate that I have lunch with and say, oh, I actually don't agree with you there. Um, there's the, Our vulnerabilities are so unique to us um, and I just tend to look at it as anytime we feel that we need to be a bit courageous and step out of the way, we've always done it. That's a vulnerability, you know, and um, uh, that's and 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 what that is doing is it's always what happens on the other side of that that creates psychological safety. Mm-hmm. So if I do that and I get shut down, or I do that and it, say say if I'm usually always the one that has all the answers, and I decide what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually be courageous and I'm not going to give my answers first. I'm going to listen deeply to everyone else. You know, if people then turn to me and go, well, Tracy, come on, you always know the answers. Why haven't you come up with that straight away? I'm going to feel shame about that and I'm going to go, well, I'm not going to do that again. So um, when people are, have a vulnerability about speaking up and then they take the big risk of speaking up, if someone turns around to them and tells them that what they're saying is a whole lot of rubbish, there's the end of that person being vulnerable. So I think the psychological safety is all about when people do take risks together, what happens on the other side of that risk-taking?
0: So how can we make sure that we're believing that that we're building this environment where people do feel that they're comfortable to take risks and that it's kind of collaborative and everybody's learning together and moving forward together?
1: Mm. Uh, Well, you know, in my work around collaborative learning cultures that I've done for many years with teams we tend to focus on three main areas that can really help shift this and the first one is how do we create a collective growth mindset together so you know we often talk about growth mindset um, and it's a it's a great sort of terminology to look at how do we persevere challenge ourselves stretch ourselves learn from our mistakes own our mistakes but a collective growth mindset is quite different. It's where collaboration really takes off is when we see ourselves as collective change agents around what we're trying to do. Oh, I had <laughs> I to turned that off. I look, it's still there. I'm sh- sorry.
0: <laughs> that's all right. If you just oh, want, you want to start, start again to with the, co- yeah, where we <laughs> see ourselves as collective change agents, that's it yeah, if great. You just want to. Yeah, and I'll just make a note of the time for my <laughs> editor. <so> <laughs> oh, that's all right. And I still,
1: I have gone quit, and I think I still think it's sitting there. Go away, calendar. All right, now I think it's gone. All right. Um. Uh, yeah. So that when we move into a collective growth mindset, we see ourselves as collective change agents together, which means we have to learn together. We have to pull apart our thinking together. Um, And so building that collective growth mindset is really good to talk about And because often we don't. That's the thing with culture I find is that we often just leave it to chance. We just hope that it gets created. If we want a really strong learning culture, we have to put it on the table and say, what does this look like? So our collective growth mindset, I call that the mind part. This is a mind, moment, mouth sort of approach that I have. So, there's work around that. There's work around what does it mean when I'm in discomfort around stuff and how do I deal with that and how do we deal with that as a group? The second big part of it is do we create a compelling environment together? And that's around the psychological safety. Um, And that's the bit what are the moments we create together? When we come together in a meeting, are there four people snoring? You know, are there three (laughs) people that are just (laughs) running the conversation and no one else gets a word in edgeways because. They're, they're talking so much. I don't know. Have you been involved in anything like that?
0: <laughs> I've been in a
1: few meetings where it's a bit like that. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, worse, someone calls together a meeting so we can collectively talk about this and all they then do is run the whole agenda and speak for the whole 45 minutes of the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so creating a compelling environment is how do we create an environment where we do want to come together to work together? um and and that it's a bit fun as well and we see each other so there's a good energy exchange but there's also we have good processes so we've got really good work ethic and I know on your podcast you've had my good friend Donna McGeorge you know her work around the 25 minute meeting and um, productivity you know how do we get more effective in our meetings that's a big part of it and knowing what our energy is that we bring into that environment that helps to create the culture that we're after so that's the second part. So we've got the mind, we've got the moment, and the last piece is the mouth, which is do we talk about the right stuff? Do we have authentic dialogue? And we know that culture is created through the quality of the conversations that are had. And in many, many teams, that is work to do because our conversations can be very transactional, they can be very didactic, they can be very closed. Uh, we often don't make time for them, we just fill people's inboxes with stuff where we could have just had a quick conversation and actually really tease stuff out together. Um, So when we have quality conversations, we move up to a space that is transformational. We ask questions of each other. We listen deeply to connect and to understand each other more. And so those three pillars, the mindset, the environment and the dialogue, they help to build a culture that creates safety for people, take risks, um, a curiosity because there's a it's a learning culture uh, to be able to bring in innovation, to transform because what we do is we sit and we go, you know what, do you reckon we could do that better? And people don't take offence. People actually see that that's the conversation we should be having if we're doing our jobs well. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably something else that sometimes people need to overcome that maybe they might feel attacked if you don't necessarily agree with something that they're saying when actually it's just you don't agree or maybe there might be a different
1: way to do something. Absolutely. And I think that comes from the mindset stuff, so I think that that's that when we have a collective growth mindset, we actually understand that our role as a team is to challenge the status quo and not do it in a way that's attacking because that's not useful, but to do it in a really objective, curious way that says, I wonder, I wonder if we did this differently, would we get a different outcome? Or, wow, that didn't work. We really, you know, that was a fail. What did we (laughs) learn from that? That's about, have we got a mindset that's a mindset of a learner and collective as a learner? And have we got that that ability, that skill to be able to have the conversation. I think and I, you know, often we we do a lot of learning around our craft and what we actually do. Uh, but and, and then we're just expected to be able to know how to do this good debate, this good robust conversation. Um, and and we don't necessarily, and so that's why there's so many cultures that struggle with giving feedback to each other, you know. Um, and i i call it you know when we when we have a learning culture we're not actually giving feedback what we're doing is we're having growth conversations where we both understand each other more but we also understand where we can grow and where we can develop as well Mm.
0: so how do we develop that that curiosity which i guess is probably innate in everyone Mm. when
1: they're children
0: but Mm. sometimes it gets lost along the way
1: yeah absolutely i and um and we know, you know, there's really interesting research around how unfortunately, and you know, I, might, I do a lot of work in education, so um, I, I hate that um, kids actually you lose a lot of their curiosity as soon as they get to school because all of a sudden there's not the time in a crowded curriculum to be able to foster you know, this this innate curiosity. So, so many schools are working really hard at shifting that paradigm now and getting students into inquiry and really inquiring about the world, which is fantastic. And I think we need to do the same thing in the work environment. When Whenever we get into a space of, the, well, this is the way we do it, we've lost curiosity. Um, I, te- I use the term ignorant truth that if we can, we can own that what we know is really just our ignorant truth, it might be our truth at the moment of this is the way I work, or this is what I know. But in actual fact, it's only a slither of knowledge, it's only a slither of anything. And so it's pretty ignorant, because all the things we don't know, uh, are actually where our ignorance lies. So it can be really humbling to just go, I've got a real ignorant truth around this topic, you know, I've got something that I know, but there's a huge amount around it, even if I'm an expert that I don't know. And so that allows us. I think curiosity um, has with it a humility that says I don't know it all and that it's absolutely fine not to know it all because we are redefining leadership because of the complexity of the world and saying there's no way that one person can know what it is we need to do all the time and that great leaders actually create that collaborative culture that says this is complex work. I need to be able to ask you questions you need to be able to ask me questions so that we can come up with the best answer not just my answer or not just what I think is the right answer Mm -hmm. so to create foster that authentic dialogue that curiosity has to be that we do question our assumptions we do go is this getting the outcomes we're after what would this look like if we did exactly the opposite uh and too often what we do is we just jump into things and we don't Ask the question. So you know, you you said, "What is it we can do?" I would really encourage people to come up with something, maybe a challenge that you have in your workplace or something that your team's grappling with. Put it in the middle of the table. Put a big piece of paper in the middle of the table. Write down what it is, and then get everyone to answer these questions. What are what assumptions are we making about this topic or this thing? Everyone writes down a whole heap of assumptions that that really push the barrow around this? Um, And then we turn it into, well, what are we curious about? So let's write down as many curious questions we can about this topic. And then we move into discussing and looking at solutions and coming up with a whole range of ideas. But we don't do that until we've gone through that real curiosity phase of sparking ideas in our heads.
0: And what about the role of purpose in leadership? Um, It seems that... uh, everybody is is interested in working somewhere where they feel aligned with the purpose these days mm. like it's used to be mm. um yeah it used to never used to be as commonplace as it is now i think no. right. but purpose has become such a catchphrase if you like at the moment yeah. and yeah. every business has got to have its purpose and the employees want yeah. you to be purpose driven so yeah. What if you feel like your business doesn't have a purpose? What can you do?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. But my leadership approach is called ferocious warmth and it's the idea of the head and the heart. So we're always great leadership is always looking at uh, both the results and the relationships, you know, high challenge, high support. And one of the things that grounds us as a ferocious warmth leader is you know, the, the head stuff is really the strategy, the what are we trying to achieve, the measurement. But The hard stuff is what's the real thing that makes a difference to who we are and what we do? And so that's the purpose-driven stuff that, um, you know, quite often when we have people, they're so busy, people are so busy in their work, we can just lose sight of how does my little thing um, link up to the big picture of the whole organization. And even when leaders can make that link for people, it can make a huge difference to people's commitment to it because they see where it fits into that big picture. Uh, but time and time again, I get told by people that, um, you know, yeah, we we forget to just remind ourselves the reason we're doing this. And I tend to work with very purpose driven organizations. Um, it just seems to be the, where I have landed a lot with my work. And um, what I find even in purpose driven organizations is that people can still get very much down in the weeds and get totally confused about where they sit in everything. So what I find is that um, in those purpose driven organizations, we can also lose sight of that because we're not um, taking the time to talk about it, to talk about where someone's oh <laughs> sorry oh. <coughs> oh goodness are you all right yeah I am all right I've, I've had a Have bad do you need a glass of water I've got one I'm just having a drink right now <laughs> <coughs> okay so um, I'll start from there again so even in those very strongly driven, purpose driven organisations, people can still really lose sight of, of that purpose and not talk about it. And, oh, you know, we'll bring them together, I'll bring them together as a team, and we'll be talking about that that purpose stuff. And people will say, yeah, we really need to spend more time just connecting ourselves back to it, because we are, we are connection people, you know, human beings are connectors, we connect to each other. But we also want to connect to something bigger than ourselves. And it, it seems that as a, as a world, uh, as a culture, we are more and more driven by that conversation around, well, why are we doing this? What is the bigger reason we're doing this? Um, and I think the pandemic has given people a lot more time, especially in the first lockdowns, especially, you know, I'm from Melbourne, so lockdown city, um, to really reflect on on why why do we do this why are we pushing so hard or what you know why um why is this work important and is it important enough for me to stay in it and is it important that it's making a difference to the world and I think that's questions our students are coming out of schools asking more and more and I think it's really good for us to be held to account around uh, the reasons we are doing things. Hmm.
0: I think it's becoming so much more competitive for business owners as well to attract talent, not just because of the talent and skills shortage that we have across so many industries, but also because of that purpose piece and because of, as you said, during the pandemic everyone was wanting to know am I doing what's right for me and is it important enough and am I making a difference? So like all those big questions that started coming up for people. So absolutely um as an as a business and employee how can you make sure that what you're you're kind of putting out there is the right message so that you can attract the right people
1: Mm. You've, you've got to be walking the talk you know I think people I think people get jaded when there is just a spoken purpose alignment uh that is, you, you don't see it <laughs> as mm. as you walk in um, the door. You don't feel it. Uh, I was I read something this morning. Um, it was around Are You Okay Day, which I think is an amazing, amazing day, amazing initiative. Uh, but someone saying, please don't, please don't put on Are You Okay Day for your people. Um, I've been in a place where they've put it on, but I've had those same people walk past me when I've been crying at my desk, and they haven't bothered to ask me how I am. Now that I just looked at that, when how can that even happen? You know, where is that that walk the talk? Um, and you know, we know with leadership, leadership is so much around modeling. How do you model what it is that you want back from your people? Um, and values on a wall don't, don't don't cut it. Values lived is is how does the boss interact with the staff? You know, um, it's what's the reality of what we're actually doing for that purpose that brings us all together. And if we're not going to be if we're not going to be having those conversations around our purpose, why do we even state it in the manual <laughs> or <laughs> over the door? You know, uh, how do we how do how do we how do we make it come to life? That's when we'll get tuned. That's when we we'll get per- people walking out the door, um, because people won't won't put up with it, and they, they don't put up with it. And I think if they do put up with it, then it's um it's it's often survived They're in survival mode anyway. Mm.
0: So is it possible, do you think, to be a toxic leader and not actually realise that you are one? Yes. <laughs>
1: Sorry to <laughs> in the middle of that. Um yeah, my the extremities. So ferocious warmth leadership that I talk about, it's it's the if you if, if you think about the concept of an infinity symbol. So it's this idea that we're always the energy is always moving from head and heart, bringing it together, having the 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 warmth and the connection and the empathy for people, and at the same time having that courage and that that vision and that strategy, the realism, realist optimism to be able to move people and, um, and and get it moving. And on the extremities of that is when people are very two-head, they're they're so brain-driven, they're so cognitive, they can they can totally lose track of where their people are at, where their customers are at, where their clients are at. And um, at the extremities of those we can have the narcissistic leader and you know there's there's research around that when we're at that very extreme we can't be coached <laughs> um and i was talking with a team today around this of you know when we can get very results driven and we're really stressed we can move into that space and our self awareness is just pretty minimal and every every group that i talk to about ferocious warmth there will be at least one person usually more in a group that will say i've experienced that toxic leadership, that fearsome leader, I call it, the fearsome leader who is just so autocratic, won't listen to anyone else. It's their way or the highway. They don't care about what people's personal stuff might be encroaching because it does. That's all there is to it. We are humans. And, um, you know, they they don't foster any sort of collaboration whatsoever. It's just, you know, do as I say. Um, But we can also have people that are too hard, and I call them the enmeshed leaders. And what happens with them (coughs) sorry, Sesh, you're gonna do a bit of cutting of this (coughs) is that they create an environment of toxicity because it's unhealthy relationships and it's manipulation and it's a lot of rescuing behaviour and it's you know, there's there's little pockets of people that are in the clique and then there's people that are out of the clique. So the extremities Mm -hmm. of too much head or too much heart um are are toxic and and you know when we are at that point we're not looking with any sort of self-awareness we're actually really stuck in a rut um and so part of the work that I do with leaders is how do we become aware when we might be starting to get into a default of you know to being too results driven or too relationship driven and we've moved away from the center of really bringing those together instead so um the first skill of emotional intelligence, emotional self-awareness, and not everyone has it. Mm. <laughs> I'd agree with that. There's <laughs> quite a
0: few emotionally, um, I don't want to say crippled because
1: that's a terrible thing to say, yeah. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. but, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, the um, Gen- Genos that does uh, a huge amount of emotional intelligence uh, around the world Um they they call it um, that. There are some people that are em- emotionally manipulative, so they use their their insight into themselves for a little bit for evil, but also um, emotionally, <laughs> <laughs> at, which is the enmeshed leader. Really, it's manipulative. You know, it's using people's emotions and using power in a way, relation, re- relational power in a, in a not useful way. But at the bottom of the run of ladder is just emotionally unintelligent. You know that. that you know, for some people. They, they haven't spent the time really delving into having that self-awareness of themselves um, <clears throat> to be able to look at whether they're having the impact they really want as a leader um, or the impact that people want from them really.
0: Hmm. So what if uh, we feel we're slipping one way or the other? What's hmm. What are some checks that we can do so that we yeah. bring ourselves back into balance?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, uh, I get people to think about, you know, what are your strengths and, you know, maybe what are your really, your cognitive strengths, your strategic strengths, those brain head strengths. Um, if you, you know, you go a little bit more results driven as a default, when is it that you can sense that some of them are going to their extremes? Uh, so instead of perhaps being strategic, you might get some feedback from people that you're being a bit on high or aloof. Um instead of being really clear, you might really pride yourself on being a very clear, articulate, very, you know, um, focused leader. People start to say that they're feeling that you're being very harsh. Um, Or instead of just having good high expectations that they're demanding in a way that's very draining on people, they're really good indicators. So that's if you're going too much to that that cognitive space, that headspace. If you're very hard. Um, often people will really super identify, wow, I've got a lot of empathy, but it's actually making me avoid the harder conversations. Mm -hmm. Or I've got a lot of um, um, trust in people, but it's actually making me a bit gullible. (laughs) Or maybe I'm so optimistic that I'm starting to move into being naive. And so if we are going off balance, if you imagine again this infinity symbol and we're we're going far too much one way, like a tightrope walker, we want to pull from the other side. So if I know I'm going into that very heart driven space, and it's actually starting to impact it in a negative way, I want to draw from my strategy, I want to draw from my thinking more rationally about something, and maybe, you know, just note down, well, what is the outcome we're after? What's the purpose here? Who is it that's being affected here? And we're wanting to ask more, just cognitive questions of ourselves, just to even ourselves back up. If we're going too much to the head side of things, we actually want to connect back into the humanness we've lost connection with our people we've lost connection perhaps with how people are feeling Uh, so we want to step into empathy so we might need to go and talk more deeply with people spend time with people and ask questions about how are you finding this of what we're doing what is the support you need and so you're drawing more from the heart side to even yourself back up Mm
0: -hmm. and also employing that curiosity I guess you're talking about as
1: well Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and you know that's so important, isn't it? I I find that when leaders start asking themselves, "Okay, am I am I am I is my leadership having the impact that that I would want on the people that I lead?" Uh, but conversely, asking, "Is the leadership helping my people to thrive?" So from their perspective, are they getting from me what I need or what they need? When we ask those curious questions, we then seek to dig under a little bit around what our leadership is. Um, From different perspectives rather than just assuming that what we're doing is just hitting the mark all the time.
0: Hmm. And if you had one piece of advice that you wanted people to walk away from listening to this podcast, what would it be?
1: Uh, It would be that uh, any any type of work, any type of leadership work is hard and to have self-compassion first and that when we see that our role is to do self care so that we can be the very best person we can be for the people that we lead we shift into a different dynamic where we really are looking after ourselves and we talk so much about looking after everyone else that really balanced ferocious want leaders actually understand that our well-being doesn't sit to the side it's actually an embedded daily activity that allows us to have the flexibility to be high results, high relationships, and not choosing one over the other because we're exhausted. Mm.
0: So important, isn't it, whether it's like self-care, self-love, self-respect, they're all, it's all the same thing really, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Tracy. It's been a lovely conversation with you today. I'm sure I'm going to have you back for a chat again. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That be lovely. I'd love to um, come and have a chat with you and I'd love to ask you some more questions because I really didn't ask you very many questions and I'm fascinated with what you do and um, what you're creating with these podcasts. So um, oh. maybe if, uh, if, if you have me back, we could we could turn the tables and we could do a bit of to and fro <laughs> questions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. That sounds, sounds like a grand idea.
1: Great. Um, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for your time and thanks to all the listeners for listening.